Hey everyone, Miguel here. Over the last couple months, I've noticed a, a new wave of a lot of new subscribers and, and listeners. And I want to thank you for, for joining and, and tuning in on a weekly basis and, and encourage you to please uh, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your podcasts and, and please leave a review. It, it does make a difference and it means a lot. Uh, and, and now let's go on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fintech Leaders Podcast, where we learn from today's global leaders in fintech business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. My guest today is Dan Westgarth, COO of Deal, a global payroll platform that helps businesses hire anyone, anywhere. Founded less than four years ago, Deal now serves 8,000 corporate customers in over 150 countries and has raised almost $700 million from Andreessen Horowitz, Altimer Capital, Y Combinator, Co2, and a long list of great investors. In this episode, we discuss joining Revolut in London back when the company had only 10 employees and what Dan learned over the following five years leaving the Revolut rocket ship to join Deal, yet another 10-person startup, to power the global remote work revolution right at the start of COVID, what it means to be COO at a fast-growing company, and why it's crucial to adapt to change and master hiring strategies, how Deal scaled from 1 million to 100 million, in annual recurring revenue in less than 20 months and why it was crucial to move fast and promote proactivity instead of reactivity to get there and just a whole lot more. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Dan Westgarth. Well, Dan, welcome to the FinTech Leaders Podcast. Uh, it's, it's good to be chatting, although... Uh, I think we're we're neighbors in in real life. Now we're talking across continents because I'm traveling a bit. <laughs> this is uh, this is very very funny. I mean, we must live ten floors apart in the same building, and now uh, <laughs> we're in different cities across the Atlantic. So good to be speaking, man. Likewise, likewise. Excited to chat and and have folks learn about your story and also learn from you. Uh, so let let's just dive right into it. Uh, you. You've been in fintech for a long time, and and you you've been in two really cool companies. Now, Deal, and that's most of what we're going to talk about. But also, you started at Revolut straight out of college, because uh, I know you were uh, one of the first early users. So, tell us about that experience. Tell us about joining Revolut and being part of that incredible growth, and and maybe some of the lessons that you learned there. Yeah, wow. It was uh, seems like so long ago now. I joined Revolut as a 21-year-old young man, fresh out of undergrad. I was actually helping Revolut during the final stages of my undergrad as a campus ambassador. So I got this really early exposure to the company. And it was my first job out of school. I'd interned at big real estate companies. You know, I was studying uh, building surveying, and I had an internship at, at Knight Frank and a job offer from them. Um, 
Nifrank in the UK is considered one of the say blue chip real estate companies. So my, my parents are really proud. And I said, no, no, I'm going to turn this down. And I'm going to go and join this, this tech startup, which at the time was 10 people working out of a co-working space in, in London. I think, what did I learn? I think very, very quickly, I, I changed the way that I thought about things. I learned how to think differently. The thing which Revolut really drilled into me and to the other teammates right from inception was how to identify problems. Like what is the problem we are solving for? Because you can spend an endless amount of time and resource and effort building solutions and products and processes, but if you're not solving that problem and you're not being pointed about your approach, you end up building something which is nowhere near as, as useful as it could be. So yeah, I think the first the first thing was was learning how to think and learning how to identify problems before uh, moving on to building solutions for them. I think the second thing was learn how to hire and learn the the impact that good hiring can have on a business and especially on a startup. You can solve. I personally believe you can solve just about any problem with talent. You know, if you hire the right person that has the right skills and is incentivized the right way and they can properly define the correct problems to solve, you can do just about anything. And I think Elon is kind of proving that and sending rockets to into space and as are other industry veterans, right? And so how to hire was really uh, impactful. And um, a lot of the stuff that I practice today comes from um, a book by Jeff Smart, who hiring method, you know, I picked this up during my Revolut days, but before years ago, I still swear by that book today. And I think the final thing is like how, how to scale. We started out at Revolut, a very small group of ambitious people, none of whom had a banking or payments background. And we didn't have any MasterCard or Visa executive. We didn't have any retail bankers. Um, we were a bunch of, um, of nerds, honestly, and a bunch of geeks that wanted to build a digital bank. And we went out and, and did that. And I think that through that journey of building, you hit different um, points where the company starts to feel a bit differently. And you might say, well, it's when I have 100, 100 employees, the company now feels very different to when we had 10 or when we hit a certain customer threshold or revenue threshold. And I think identifying those milestones and celebrating the effort and then moving on to the next thing is, is, uh, is scaling. And uh, certainly learn how to do that at Revolut. Yeah, I, I love those, uh, those lessons. And I think on the learning how to hire, several guests have talked about it. One of those was Kurt Lin from Pinwheel, who I'm sure you, you probably know. And he, he talked about the importance of waiting for that great hire rather than bringing on board quickly a, a good hire. And, and how the great hire will over time, you know, overcome and, and make up for that lost time. So I think that's exciting. But, but like drilling down on, on how to identify problems, can you think of a time where you, where you actually kind of followed this, this process that you learned and identified a problem that made a big difference for the company? Yeah. I mean, we follow this methodology every day at a deal to give you an example during software selection you know we're procuring some software in the knowledge and learning space 
And we want to use this software to um, upskill and, and teach our team how certain parts of the business and certain parts of the industry work. You're faced with this, you know, the team running it did this very kind of elaborate RFP and brought these different softwares to the table, compared them at a glance so we can see what the differences are, what the pricing differences are and all of this stuff. And, you know, you're almost, you can almost become dazzled with all of this information that's in front of you. And it's kind of like you're in a car showroom and you have these three amazing cars next to you and you look at the spec sheets and it's like, wow, what, like, what's going on? There's, there's so much information here. It's almost like a sensory overload. If you take a step back and you think about it, or what is the problem I'm trying to solve? I'm trying to teach my team and upskill them. Or in the case of a car, maybe I want to drive my family A to B. Or maybe I want a fast, showy car which looks beautiful. And you always have to remember what that primary problem is that you're trying to solve and then make sure you achieve that. And everything else is kind of a, a bonus or a, or a plus. And, and so you actually moved from the UK to the US, to New York, and you were actually tasked with opening Revolut's US office. But fast forward a little bit, you actually leave the Revolut rocket ship and then join Deal. You know, tell us why why decided to do that. Um, you know, and, and uh, I, I know that you you've 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 said this is one of the worst puns you've heard, but What's the deal with deal? <laughs> yeah, I think it was a huge gamble at the time. Um, deal was also very small. I thrive off going from being involved in that very early stage development of a company. I, I love it. I, I really, really thrive from that. And deal had that coupled with what I thought at the time was an ma- amazing market opportunity. And I think that the pandemic, and I saw the real early end of the pandemic, having been located in New York. I think New York is one of the first cities to really be affected and shut down. And that combined with this international market opportunity of of remote hiring, international hiring, a a huge light bulb just went off. So uh, I decided decided to join, or rather I was given the opportunity to join, and then I I made the decision to, to, to take it. Um, but it was a it was a huge gamble for me at that at that part of uh, that time in my life and that stage of my career. But it certainly paid off. Yeah. How, how many people at the company when you joined? Somewhere in the region of ten and twenty. It was pre pre Series A. Pretty hard to put a pin on it because I was right. <laughs> I was kind of speaking with them for a while. And Alex was like, "Yo, you know what, Dan? Come and see the Slack and meet some of the guys." And yeah, before I know it, I was uh, fully involved. Similar story to joining Revolut um, at, right at the yeah. beginning. Uh, and, and as you said, you joined uh, the worst, the darkest times of the pandemic. I, I was also in New York. I remember how, how bad it was. But you were probably glued to your screen and your computer during those first days at, at Deal as, as everyone were, was starting to, to scale the remote teams or, or actually go remote for the first time. Um, you know, what, what did you, what was the most surprising thing you learned during those early days? Well, first of all, I was a little bit scared of remote work. I'd never done it before. I'd taken extended vacations, you know, you take a week off from work and then you stay a couple of extra days and 
work from the hotel or, you know, work around the swimming pool. You know, I've done that before at previous, previous jobs, but I've never been part of a remote first company. So that, that terrified me. What surprised me at how well it actually worked and how it built on respect and trust. You really have to respect and trust your, um, your colleagues. I think the second thing, which isn't directly linked to the pandemic, it's probably linked to, to deal and to the families and the DNA of the company. We have a concept of what we like to call show me. And what it means is if somebody is working on a problem and they can't solve it or they're confused or they're cornered or blocked, can you show me? It sounds like a relatively simple com- uh, concept, but if you apply that to elaborate engineering problems or you apply that to org design, architecture, or even a communications plan, I mean, it can be anything. But if the person that's blocked and cornered and is struggling shows you the thing by virtue of them explaining it simply so you understand and actually showing you, showing you the code, showing you the plan, I think you're able to act as a counsel and help them unblock and help them come up with a path forward. And that's something I hadn't seen before. You know, I definitely practiced what is the problem, but I'd never practiced show me in the way that Deal does. And that was a really nice surprise, being able to sit with an engineer and have her show you her code and work, walk through it with her and then um, come up with a path forward. That was really, really, um, really surprising and fun. And, and so I, I think most folks listening to the podcast are going to be familiar with what you're doing, but I, I think it was it would still be helpful uh, to go over your your core products these days. Maybe we can we can hear a little bit about that, and then we can we can drill down on uh, more concepts on deal. Yeah, would love to. So we have three core products in no particular order. We have international contractor hiring employer of record, and international global payroll. What are those three things? Well, the first one I think is fairly self-explanatory. We're a platform to help businesses hire contractors in a legal and compliant way cross-border and domestically. So as a business in the U.S., you can come to deal and you can hire a contractor in Mexico or someone in Argentina. And we do this in all countries of the world, which are not extreme risk or sanctioned. Um, Second one is employer of record. Uh, it's a little bit more complicated where we um, establish entity, an entity in a foreign country. And then that entity can be used to employ um, your employee. And they would work for, say, Deal Mexico, LTD. And um, then uh, uh, they would be paid, but it isn't social security, have taxation, all that type of stuff. Final one, which I'm most excited about, is our global payroll offering, which is new. And this is where we will run the payroll for your headquarters or any of your foreign subsidiaries. So in, in summary, as a business, as an international business today, we can run your payroll for your headquarters. We can run payroll for your subsidiary, say, in Europe. We can hire, help you hire your contractors in a ton of random countries. And we can hire, say, your, um, your executives or your heads of department or your engineers, the guys that want to be employees and want to be employed and want to receive pension, healthcare, social security contributions, and all of that. They're the three core products. And in surrounding that, you have um, a suite of offerings for both the workers and the company. So on the worker side, 
Um, we have uh, really compelling benefits like pensions, healthcare. We have access to stuff like um, uh, WeWork locations. We have equipment provisioning deals. We have a ton of stuff which is all kind of focused on that remote um, work experience. And then on the client side or the business side, we have integrations with things like accounting softwares like Xero, QuickBooks, uh, NetSuite. We have integrations of HR software. So what we're building is this kind of platform which sits central within a business's kind of core operating system. And you think of a business, like what does it really operate from? It operates from, um, say, G Suite, say Slack, say Salesforce, uh, maybe there's some banking software in there, and then there's Deal. And we at Deal, we want to do all the payroll, all of HR, and all of the surrounding uh, benefits. Yeah, no, it, it's fascinating, and I think it, it isn't hard to see for anyone why your growth exploded during the pandemic. Uh, do I have it right that you are now servicing over 150 countries, meaning employees working in over 150 nations yeah employees and contractors over 150 nations yeah yeah so that 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 is that is insane (laughs) that's most of the world i talk to entrepreneurs in several emerging markets all over the world and they all have trouble hiring right it's very competitive in places like brazil pakistan nigeria not because the talent isn't there, but because they're now competing at a global level with global companies, not just local companies, for local talent, right? So it's definitely for the for engineers and, and for, for the talent. This is great, right? It's, it's fantastic to have that global opportunities and, and sounds like Deal is enabling it. Tell us about your, your role as a COO. Uh, what, what, how would you describe your, your top responsibilities? Um, yeah, I think I would probably fit into three different very broad buckets. So the first one is the org design of the company, ensuring that um, we're hiring people the right way and putting them in the right place, that they will have the most impact and be, and be happiest. I think... The next bucket is the run the business operations. So this is things where, you you know, like customer support, payroll operations, payment operations, where you have people doing business critical tasks day in, day out. The final one is change the business operation. So um, how can we identify medium term, longer term problems to solve? Um, How can we optimize some of our processes to change efficiency rates by fractions of a percent? That might seem like a very trivial uh, step change, but it the actual impact on the run the business operations and on the customer is is significant. Um, so they're, they're the three, I would say, the three areas. So, Dan, we we don't get a lot of COOs on this podcast, which is why I was very excited to talk to you. Let's say you were you were about to teach a class to. You know, a bunch of incoming COOs about to join fast-growing companies. What would you focus on on this class? Well, I think an interesting point there is is fast-growing companies because I think that the the startup 
leadership role is is very different. And of course, it's very different to say a Fortune 500 executive. You know, it's extremely different. Um, I think for any for any startup which is less than a hundred people, the, the the execs, whether they're holding CFO, COO, CEO, you know, really like general managers, they're doing everything themselves and you know there'll be a there'll be a small core group within that hundred people that really move the needle of the business forward um and that's kind of kind of where it starts and then assuming that the company grows maybe it becomes 500 people a thousand people five thousand people maybe eventually ipos and hopefully one day maybe it will become fortune 500 or even a fortune 100 company you know the key thing here is is this this change and i think being able to adapt to change is really important um, for, for anyone and being able to graduate out of that kind of startup scrappy general manager mindset into executive is really important. And a few of the ways that I recommend doing that is, is through mentorship, right? Surrounding yourself with, with people that are a few steps ahead. Uh, these don't have to be formal arrangements. You know, you don't need to have, uh, say, this person is my mentor. It can be somebody that you that you catch up with, somebody that you build a relationship with, somebody that you exchange emails and WhatsApps with, and maybe you have a phone call with them. And maybe if you're lucky, you can get a coffee or go for dinner. I think this is really important. You know, following their journey of what they're doing, how they're thinking about things, and how their company is growing. And if they're a couple of steps ahead of you, you will learn a lot, a lot from that. I think the, the final thing I would say is, is hiring. I think it's everyone's responsibility. It's always, always going to be COO's responsibility. Uh, I think hiring is really important, being heavily involved in that process and ensuring that you are happy with it and the quality of people coming into the business is at, at a level that, that you're comfortable with, I think is really, really important. And through hiring, I mentioned before, I think you can solve just about any problem with talent. Through hiring, you can almost start to make um, yourself and your involvement in certain processes redundant. And this is really important. If you can't let go of certain processes and certain business units, they're not going to scale. So I like to think about this. You know, who can we hire? How can we position them in the org, right? How can they be incentivized to succeed? And how can I... Move, slowly remove myself from this process and act as a process auditor or a business unit auditor. I think that's really important. That that's really cool. That's fascinating. Um, let, let's talk about a, a recent club that deal joined, and it's a very exclusive club. Is a startups that were able to scale uh, from one to hundred million ARR. That's annual recurring revenue in less than twenty months. That's that's impressive, but but tell us about you know the, some of the some of the biggest challenges to get there. Yeah, I well, I think there's a few things to say here. Um, I think being at the right place in the right time is is a huge part of this. We Alex and Shro had, had kind of built the core of the business and the foundations of the business pre pandemic. We kind of had product market fit and were able to sell, and then the pandemic came along. Everyone started hiring internationally, so. We had this huge kind of tailwind behind us that was was really really cool. I think I would then look to our principles and the way we we live the comp- way we run the company. We have a lot of a lot of principles which are synonymous with other other big techs, and there are a few which are quite distinct. One of them is is deal speed that we all hold ourselves to, and it's just moving really 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 fast. Um, having a strong bias to action 
and promoting proactivity rather than reactivity. I think that combined with the way our business works, um, given we run on weekly or monthly cycles in general, you know, if you think of a payroll, it's typically going to be every two weeks or every month. Every time that happens, it's a clear peak and trough in load on the system and load on the operations, let's load on customer support, load on um, the run the business teams. And at the end of that peak, and as we enter the trough, we can draw a line and do a very quick reflection on the last two weeks and say, this is what went wrong, this is what went right, how can we make it better for next time? So you have this iteration flywheel, which is really, really tight. Um, and I don't, just don't think you get that in other companies. You know, other companies, like, they will aim to iterate quickly, but they, they really struggle to draw that line in the sand and say, at what point are we going to do a retrospective and review and what's just happened? But with us, it's natural. And the final one is I would say that uh, remote working, I think, is more efficient. I think especially once you build a strong foundation and a strong culture, you have people spent spending less time on, on things like commuting, right? <laughs> you know, just uh, to put it out there, you know, I don't, I'm not spending 30 minutes on, on the subway or walking, uh, walking through Midtown. You know, that's, that's some time I've got back. So I think that has a, has a part, part to play in this too. And, and when you think of the, the road ahead and maybe some of the industry trends that you're most excited about and how Deal is planning to, you know, take advantage and, and ride this wave, you know, what, what comes to mind? Yeah, well, I think, I think we've, we've seen, we've spoken about it today, globalization is a huge trend. I think the next one is going to be analytics and intelligence around your workforce and then in particular how that links in performance management and that links into the payroll and pay. You know, if you think about the way that a lot of the performance management products work, they're pretty exclusive on performance management. You know, maybe if you take something for a customer support team, you'll be able to get some some software which rewards output and production. But if you take, you know, if you take a classic a classic or a traditional business and, and you look at other departments, you know, the linkage between performance management and payroll has never really happened. And the linkage between performance management and payroll is often bridged by an information system. It's often bridged by a HRIS. If you can consolidate all of those into one thing and you have this one single view of all of your global people, then also their performance and also their HR information, that becomes incredibly powerful. Now, then switching gears a little bit, we're obviously going through a market reset. And some folks who are currently at large companies or who are graduating college, like you did when you were joining Revolut, might be having second thoughts about joining a startup, right? How would you advise they, they approach this decision? Any, any frameworks or any thoughts uh, you would consider? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, I take a similar approach to, in, to investing. So first of all, there's risk. <laughs> uh, you know, you could put two years into your life, of your life into something and might get nothing out of it. You know, the company might not succeed you'd learn, but, uh, you know, you wouldn't have this, this, this cool brand name or stock appreciation. So you've got to be comfortable with the risk. I think the market reset is a good thing for young people wanting to get into, um, venture back tech. 
I think that they can get in um, at reasonable valuations. I think if you ask that question six months ago, the, the, the valuations for early employees and new hires were really, really high. And that's, of course, impactful. So now if we see a market reset and a value reset, try getting before the Series A round um, if you're comfortable with the risk. I think how do you, you know, how do you really quantify the risk and how do you build a conviction on the decision? Well, I spend a lot of time with the founding team. You know, that, that group of 10 people, maybe 20 people, try and meet as many of them as you can. Ensure that there is a, a big market. I think this is really, really key. You know, it might be some some technology you like or some product you like, but if it's not going to go to a big market, is it really going to be able to produce billions in revenue? And is it going to be able to become one of the large companies we've mentioned on this call? Probably not. And the final thing is understand the fee model. You know, you know, you need to understand this. How, where is the cash flow coming from? Who are you? Who is being charged? Who is paying for the service? What are the costs? What are the fundamental business economics? I think if you have fundamental business economics, you have a big market, you like the team, you're comfortable with the risk, and you can get in just before the A round. Go for it. And then if if it doesn't uh, if it doesn't work out, um, you've had a great time, you've learned skills, but uh, on to the next one. Uh, I think don't don't be afraid and be willing to take the risk. Love that. Um, and and when you think of your career over the last you know almost decade, who who comes to mind as as some of the most helpful and consequential people in your journey? Um, a lot of the guys in in my journey are not are not well known. I think first first CFO of of Revolut was was really helpful in my in my journey. You know, he he taught me so much. And he told me he told me how to model on Excel. You know, I, I hadn't had this, uh, I hadn't had this experience. I hadn't done any self learning. Uh, I didn't didn't do uh, any any kind of college modules, which included this. So getting that uh, getting that exposure to someone like that, or someone like the uh, you know first CFO of Revolut, and and him actually spending you know twenty minutes of his day to teach me how to use Excel, yeah. And, refer some documentation and some guys like that's just so powerful and you don't get that any anywhere else um other than startup right you know it's just so unusual in other organizations um anything in investors and it's interesting because some some people have let's say quite opinionated views on on investors and certain funds and how helpful they are but for me investors have been incredibly um incredibly helpful i think they've they've helped build other connections they've helped me hire people um they've helped connect me with mentors they've helped bring me to to places and areas and forums which have a really inspiring energy so you know i think there's there's, there's like two things here which i would say to people thinking about getting into startup uh, you know or, or have got into startup and uh, you know thinking at how to scale is um, if you get the opportunity to to meet to meet the meet the investors that are backing your company, like please, you know, please, please do this. It's really, really uh, important and, uh, and and valuable. And then the other thing is, don't don't be afraid to take guidance. You know, even if it's the the founders of the company or the CEO, like let let them let them show you how to do something if they if they offer or ask them. Um, that stuff sticks with you for years to come and has been incredibly um, important for me. Then. Great hearing from you and, and congrats on what you've achieved. And, and I'm sure both companies are very happy to be working with you or to have worked with you uh, in the case of Revolut. So 
you know, I'm, I'm sure the audience is going to love this. So thanks. Thanks so much again. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be talking soon, I'm sure. Thanks for having me, Miguel. It's great to be here. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dan Westgarth, COO of Deal. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. As always, I want to extend a very special thank you to the great editor, Rafael Ostria, for his amazing work behind the scenes. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.